0: I'm going to be Superman. I'm going to be Batman. Why do you want to be Batman? Because I'm going to go with and I'm going to be Wonder Woman because girls rock. <sighs> I'm going to be Baby Jesus. Why do you want to be a baby? Because he can save the world. John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and we kind of use that. We're using that intro every week to kind of introduce and using Legos, the uh, superheroes to, to kind of introduce. There we go. That's what I wanted to say, to get out the concept of that when Jesus came into the world, it was a surprise. I mean, who's going to send a savior to the world as a baby? Why wouldn't you rather send somebody in a cape who's bulletproof or with a really cool car or all that stuff? I mean, why are you coming the way Jesus came into the world? I mean, that seems foolish. In fact, when you explain the gospel to people, this is the top of your outline, there's an outline inside your bulletin today, I'm, this is called The Foolishness of the Virgin Birth is the title of uh, the message today. the foolish plan of This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. God loves to turn things on his head. God loves to surprise us in this. God sent a savior into the world because we needed saving and he didn't ask us how to do it. He came in to rescue us because we think we're so self-important. And God wanted to show the whole human race, it's like, you need me. You need a Savior. Jesus didn't come into the world to show us how to be a little bit better. Jesus came to save us. And so Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 1 that God has a plan that at first blush seems completely foolish to us. Here's how you need to do it. But we're so lost we couldn't figure it out even if we tried. Because we've misunderstood God's love from the very beginning and his desire for us to come to him and surrender our lives to him and say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? So today, we're going to unpack a little bit further in this series we call The Foolishness of Christmas, um, that God's plan is wiser than our plans, and God can see things we can't see. If that's a comfort to you this morning, would you say amen? amen. Yeah, it's a comfort to me. My goodness. I think if I had to figure it out. I can't even figure out how to put toys together for my kids sometimes, you know, or other things like this. When you think about all the things that come with Christmas, I can't figure out how to shop for my wife, and that's another whole confession. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll go on, but imagine if you had to figure out how to save the world. We don't have to. The Lord has already done this, and, he, and this story shows us in a wonderful way how His uh, the foolishness of God is much wiser than anything we could have ever imagined. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that we can worship together via video at Pike Road and Cloverdale and Wutumka and here in Prattville and many places on the web. I thank you, Lord, that your word is true no matter where people are listening. I thank you that your word is true and it's our guide in all matters of faith and practice and that your foolishness is wiser than anything else we could have thought of. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks, raise your hand. One of the ushers would be glad to bring one to you. And we're going to start right off with, uh, if God is going to send his son into the world as a little baby, well, who's going to raise him? Well, you'd think... That he would choose like the best parents in the world. He would have waited till James Dobson came along and let James Dobson and his wife raise them. I mean, that's smart, right? If you're going to say you get the best parent we know of,? okay? This guy writes books on it. That's not the way God went about it. In fact, today I'm going to give you a little backstory on the fact that God chose ordinary people, people that you and I would could say, "Why would you choose them? Because they were available and obedient. I' willing to do what he said. So point one, let's talk, start with Mary first. God foolishly chose a young girl named Mary to be the mother of the Messiah. The Messiah is the anointed one. Uh, Hebrew, Messiah, Greek Christ. So Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. It's a title. meant someone who had come like David. David had been anointed king, a man after God's own heart, a mighty rescuer. David was the one who killed the giant with a sling and a stone. was the best king that Israel ever had. There would be someone like him, a great king, a great rescuer who would conquer evil and rescue God's people, was coming into the world. Like I said, so you're going to entrust him to who as a baby? Well, a young girl named Mary. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. that sentence is loaded. If you weren't with us last week, you can go back online and watch last week's message about Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. Uh, These were relatives of of Mary's, and so when she was visited by an angel, she had heard of her relative Elizabeth, an old woman who now was giving birth to a child in her old age. She was six months pregnant. And it's telling us she lived in the northern part of Israel in the province of Galilee, And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And so as the world reckoned things, when Jesus came into the world, he would be a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her. This is the same angel that appeared to Zechariah, the old priest, and told him about John the Baptist. Again, we hit that last week, that he stands in the very presence of God. He's a a right-hand man for God, a messenger from God. And so Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, Gabriel is appearing to Mary now, and he says, "'Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you.' Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Mary's just a young girl. Why is the favor of the Lord on me? I mean, what's, what's going on here? "'Don't be afraid, Mary,' the angel told her, "'for you have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus.'" By the way, if you could just write in the margin, Jesus means the Lord saves. That's what his name means. God saves. That's amazing. He'll be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. So he will be that Messiah, that anointed one. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby, be, baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but now she's in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And please underline that last statement. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. And Mary said, well, how is this going to happen? I'm just an ordinary young girl. She was a teenage girl. And an angel appears to her and says, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. She's not married. She's never been with a man. She's a virgin. And she goes, well, how can this happen? And Gabriel says, this is going to be a miracle. And so again, these are things you can kind of write in the margin here. Christians believe in miracles. Okay. (laughs) People say, well, how can you believe in the virgin birth? That's impossible. Well, yeah, but... We believe in a God who does miracles. If you believe in miracles, that God can do miracles, would you say amen? Amen. (laughs) That's part of our faith. People ask me, well, explain how that could have happened. Well, I can't depart from the power of God. This is a miracle. In fact, that's why the angel was sent to explain this. I'm going to need to explain this to you because this is out of the ordinary. This is a once-in-forever happening. This is never going to happen again. It's a virgin birth. And... Luke was the one who recorded this. This is in the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a medical doctor, and sometimes people say, well, you can't believe that. These are all just myths. Well, Luke set out at the beginning of his writing saying, I went and investigated this. He went and talked to Mary. That's how he knows what was said between her and the angel and her and the wise men and the shepherds. Luke interviewed all this stuff where he talked to her about these things. That's how we know all that information. And so, uh, when Luke was recording this, he was a doctor. It would have been impossible for him too. I mean, it was impossible for virgins to give birth back in that day too. Well, back in Bible times, they just didn't know how birth worked. Yeah, they knew how babies were born. Okay, don't don't make that mistake, and let people dismiss it on that. Luke's calling this a miracle. It would have been impossible for them to believe too, besides God's intervention. And so that brings us to the note here. It's vital, not foolish, that Mary was a virgin. Many people consider this story foolish and impossible to believe because they don't believe in a God who can do miracles, and they don't understand the significance of the virgin birth. Here's why it matters. When Adam sinned, this is Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. The Bible tells us that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they didn't only, that didn't only result in them getting kicked out of the garden, but all of their children inherited a sin nature. We know the right thing to do, and we don't do it. We know the wrong thing to do, and we do it anyway. Can anybody agree with what I'm saying so far? Okay. Uh, this is who we are. And we're born this way. We don't have to teach our kids to cheat or steal. We have to teach, teach them how to share and be honest. There's always an honor code, never a cheat code. Hey, we're starting the semester, we're going to teach you how to cheat and lie. Some of you here aren't good at that, so we're going to fill you in. Nobody ever does that. It's always an honor code. Why is it always an honor code? We don't have to teach people how to gossip. We don't have to teach them how to throw a temper tantrum. Kids do that all on their own. I mean, I used to think, I used to wonder, did my wife teach them how to do this while I was gone at work? Because I'm telling them something and my wife's going, no, get your back in it and really scream when dad comes home. She never taught him that. She was just as frustrated with it as I was. Well, where did it come from? And the Bible says, well, we inherited that. And so there's no chance in the world that we're going to grow up and live a sinless life on our own. Because we're all born with a sin nature. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages of that sin nature, the wages of sin, when we sin, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, how would Jesus help? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the logic of the gospel. We're sinners hopelessly mired in sin. It's like two guys walking along a road, and we fall into a pit that's 30 feet deep. Well, I could offer to help you out, and you could offer to help me out, but neither of us can get out. It doesn't do any good to rely on you, because I'm in the same pit you are. I'm in the same condition you are. But what if somebody who never fell into the pit came along and could throw us a lifeline and pull us out? Well, that person could rescue us. It does no good, if the wages of sin is death, it does no good for me to offer to die for your sins, or for you to offer to die for mine, because you're just as rotten a sinner as I am. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, you're just as rotten a sinner as I am. Would you do that? Say it. And some of you have been going, I've been meaning to say that to my spouse for all my life. Merry Christmas. This is great. Did you know that, though? The gospel is for ordinary people, and that's why God likes to use ordinary people. The gospel is for lost sinners, and we got a whole world full of them, and you and I are part of that. The gospel means good news. Here's the good news. Even though you and I are lost sinners, God sent his son into the world, his sinless son, and his sinless son paid that penalty. I can't die for you. You can't die for me. But Jesus can die for all of us, and he did. The penalty's paid once for all. This is the news that we want to shout from the rooftops. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. And it all came about because Jesus did not inherit a sin nature. If he had been born in the usual way from relations between Joseph and Mary, he'd inherited the sin nature just like you and I did. Now, some of us sin more than others, but we're all sinners. And we're all lost. But Jesus never sinned. He was fully God and fully human at the same time. And that's what was happening here when the announcement was made to Mary. This is going to be God in the flesh. And he will be born holy. Adam and Eve came into the world when they were created. They were in this world sinless until they sinned and fell. And so through Adam and Eve, we were introduced to sin and death. When Jesus came into the world, he was sinless. And even though he was tempted by Satan himself, he never sinned. And so through Jesus, there is righteousness and life. I want you to hear the good news this morning. Good news is that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Paul said, here's the good news. Jesus came into the world to save sinners of of whom I am the worst. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament said he was the most wretched of sinners. So I think you and me can celebrate, that you and I can celebrate that too. That's good news for you and me. So God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And that's why it matters that she was a virgin. And yes, it's a miracle. And yes, it was hard for them to believe in those days too. That's why it's recorded for us. And that's why it's recorded that an angel announced this. Because this was God's son being sent into the world. A miracle. Now, if that's the case, then here's a life application for you and me. Nothing is impossible with God. That's exactly what Gabriel told Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. Would you say that out loud with me, please? Nothing is impossible with God. One more time. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, Mary was going to have to believe that because the angel was telling her something that was flatly impossible. But the angel said, well, it's impossible for an old woman to give birth to, but look at Elizabeth. She's six months along. Nothing's impossible for God. Jeremiah 32, 17, the prophet Jeremiah recorded this, O sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing's too hard for you. The only question is, do we believe that? And so often, I mean, here's the telltale sign of whether or not we believe it. Am I going to pray about this or am I going to worry? Because I'm going to worry, it depends on me. I've got to figure this out. Lord, I've got to figure this out. No offense, Lord, but... I I need real solutions here. I can't waste my time praying. I need real solutions. So I'm going to worry, because worry always solves things. And Lord, I'm not going to seek your counsel. Why don't I get on Facebook and just post about it in a fit of rage? That'll help. And we do foolish things like this. And we could say, well, nothing's impossible for God, and yet God's willing, well, why don't you ask me for help? Why don't you seek my counsel? And when I give you counsel, why don't you listen to me? Well, because I don't want to do that. Mm. So you don't really trust me. And now we're back to faith again, what it means to have faith in him. And so you got to think Mary had some kind of wonderful faith to trust all of this. And that's why she was chosen. I put in Psalm 32, 5 here, Finally I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me, all my guilt is gone. And you go, John, why'd you put that under nothing's impossible with God? Because I run into people all the time and say God can't forgive me. Yes, he can. But you know what we need to do? We need to come to him and confess our sins. Now, there are some people who believe they're too far gone. I talked to somebody just recently again, invited them to come to worship with us here at Centerpoint. And they said, well, if I walk in, lightning will strike me. I go, no, it won't. No, it won't. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Now I'm too bad a sinner. It's like, no, you're not. You come. Hear the good news. Confess your sins. Get right with Jesus. He'll make you clean. I mean, that is the good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Psalm 32, David said here, Man, I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I confessed to the Lord. He forgave me. All my sin is gone. Please take this verse to someone you know this Christmas who is far away from God. says, God doesn't love me. God can't forgive me. I'm a lost cause. Give up on me. Never. Never. I'm going to keep praying for you. I'm going to keep inviting you to come to worship until I run out of breath. I think it was Charles Spurgeon once. He said, if people are going to go to hell... And let them realize as they go to hell that we were grabbing onto their ankles trying to save them as they went in. I love that picture. You're not going in there without realizing that I did everything I could within my power to tell you that Jesus loves you. Can I tell you today, if you've been far away from God and you're angry with Him, disappointed with life, frustrated with yourself, come to Him. He understands you. He sent his son into the world to save you and me. That's the good news of Christmas. Nothing is impossible with God. Would you say that with me one more time? Nothing is impossible with God. Man, if we can believe that. So God foolishly chose a young girl named Mary to be the mother of the Messiah. If you turn your outline over, there's a life application out of that too. There's another life application here that God delights in using ordinary people to carry out his plans. This is part of the foolishness of God again. I'm going to use ordinary people so people can understand this isn't about our own human effort. It's not about us earning our way to heaven. It's about us coming to him. The logic again of the gospel is you can't save yourself. You need a savior. I mean, if he would used only the brightest and best educated and best parents in the world, when people go, well, yeah, he used them because they were capable, not me. The whole idea behind the story of the gospel and even who God chose is because he delights in showing us he came to save ordinary folks. That's the good news. You don't need a PhD to get right with Jesus. Hallelujah. You don't need to be super wealthy. You don't need to be beautiful. You don't need to be tall. You don't need to be fast. You just need to come to him. The Holy Spirit was the one who placed Jesus in Mary's womb. Mary didn't come up with that idea. In fact, here's what Mary said about this. This is called Mary's Song. Sometimes you could look it up. you Google it, you could Google Magnificat. That's uh, the first word in Latin of this song. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. Magnificat simply means glorifies. Oh, how my soul glorifies the Lord, praises the Lord. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. Look at that. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. She didn't brag about the great things she was going to do for God. She said, oh, praise God. My soul praises the glory of the Lord. He took a young servant girl like me and was going to do something amazing. Mary had it right. And that's the good news. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 1, 26. He said, Remember, my brothers and sisters, few of you were wise in this world's eyes, or powerful or wealthy when God called you. This is our theme verse for this whole series. Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. I can't boast that, I'm, that God loves me more than you, and you can't boast that God loves you more than me. The, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. I'm not standing any higher than you. And when we bring people to Christ, we say, He forgave me, He can forgive you. And that's what we intend to tell people. That's what I intend to tell people every chance I get. I think you want to tell them that too but it's so good that God delights in using ordinary people to carry out his plans. I remember a number of years ago when I was first getting going to ministry, I was asked to do a funeral for a, a man who had died in a small town not far from here. And, uh, it was from a small, small town not far from here. And, um, and so the undertaker from that town, it was kind of a, um, a funeral home where there was a father and son business. And this guy had been pretty important in the community. And so the senior, the dad of the funeral home party, he was the one who officiated this because this was important to him. And the funeral was packed, and there were a lot of important people there, and um, I really hadn't had a chance. I'd met with the family, but I hadn't had a chance to meet the person, you know, the undertaker of things until we got to the funeral itself, and we were about to walk in. And um, I guess he sized me up as a guy that didn't amount to much because he goes, this is an important funeral for a friend of mine. Are you up to this? And I said, yeah, I've... I've prayed about this and met with the family, and God's given me a word. Let's go in there and see what God says. It'll be okay. All right. You know, he did. He looked me over it. I guess he did not. He was not impressed with me. Let's put it that way, okay? So we walk in, and we did the funeral, and God did. God spoke. It's why I, every time I pray a message for us, we pray that God will speak, give me the right words to say. And God had given me, they had shared some wonderful memories of this guy that allowed me to proclaim the gospel powerfully there afterward, he came back to me and goes, I didn't think you were up to it, but that was a pretty good job. (laughs) So I got the undertaker vote. Okay, anyway, there we go. But aren't you grateful it doesn't depend on you and me? I mean, what if it depended on me being impressive? What if it depended on you being impressive? Here's what the great news is. We can carry the gospel anywhere and tell people the good news and be confident then when we share God's word and we tell him the truth, that God will use it to impact lives, regardless of who we are. I mean, I really want God to speak and move John Schmidt out of the way. And when he does, it's incredible. Even if other people would be kind of surprised by that. So God foolishly, quote-unquote, used Mary, a young girl, a young virgin, to be the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. Well, point two, God foolishly, quote-unquote, chose a carpenter named Joseph to be the father of the Messiah. And he wasn't anything that the world would consider important either. In fact, I've got a Matthew 1 reference there. Uh, If we could skip down to the next reference first. Let me take the next one first from Matthew 13. When Jesus began his ministry... He would travel around doing miracles, teaching, and we read about this, and we go, wow, it must have been pretty impressive. Well, the people in his own hometown in Nazareth weren't impressed. Listen to this. He returned to Nazareth. This is an account from Matthew 13. Jesus returned to Nazareth in his ministry. It was his hometown where he taught there in the synagogue. And everyone was amazed and said, where did he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed, ah, he's just the carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas all his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? They were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in him. Ah, he's just Joseph's son, the carpenter. And in the margin there, you can write next to carpenter, or in the blank up there, you can write next to, under it, you can write builder. Carpenter means a woodworker. Uh, the word could be translated either way. He wasn't necessarily a finished carpenter or somebody who makes Swiss clock, you know, cases or jewelry boxes or things. Could have been a framer. There is a uh, big archaeological dig about three and a half miles from Nazareth. Uh, it's a Roman. It was the Roman provincial capital of Galilee, and it's called Sepphoris. That was the name of the city, and it had a huge amphitheater, sat thousands, had all kinds of amazing buildings, and it's widely known that the people who in who were in Nazareth would walk to Sepphoris every day and work and then come home. So Nazareth was kind of a bedroom community. And Joseph had about an hour commute. A guy with a lunchbox and a hard hat. That's Joseph. So to choose the father of the Messiah, God chose an ordinary Joseph. That's literally true. He was an ordinary Joe. And that's why when Jesus is doing this, they go, and he comes to his hometown, wait, this, this guy's claiming to be some great prophet? His dad is Joe. I used to work with him at Sepphorus. We walked together. This guy has all this Bible knowledge? Look, his dad was a good man, but he was no Bible scholar. And we know Mary, and by the way, When Jesus came along, there was something going on there that wasn't quite kosher, if you know what I mean. And they would talk just this way. And we know his brothers. And he had at least two sisters. I mean, Joseph and Mary had other kids after Jesus was born. We know them. Even his own family didn't believe in him when he started the ministry. His brothers would mock him at first. He was ordinary. And God delighted in it to show that his Foolishness was greater than human wisdom. Matthew 1, now back to that. And this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin. She, be- she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Three steps in uh, Jewish marriage in the Old Testament times, here at the beginning of the New Testament, were you would have families come together and they'd make an an arrangement, a betrothal. The woman would be betrothed to the man. Both families would agree. Secondly, they'd make an announcement. That was the engagement announcement. Once the announcement was made, it was kind of like an engagement today, except much more binding. If you get engaged today, you can break it. Well, today, you can be married and break it. I mean, for $175, according to the billboards. I don't say that in any way, but with sadness. But in those days, they valued marriage much more than we do. And so even when you were engaged, you had to have a legal procedure to be unengaged. You had to divorce someone. And so G- Joseph, when she found out, when he found out Mary was pregnant, well, this was a big deal because the third step in marriage was you actually had the wedding celebration and then you began to live together. Deuteronomy 22, you can write it in the margin, talks about penalties for people who commit adultery. And have relations before you're married. And they were steep. And so Joseph didn't want a bad reputation. Mary was now expecting. And he doesn't know what to make of it because she's coming back saying she saw an angel and God did this to her. And so he might have thought she was even crazy. She'd gone crazy with guilt or something. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, the Lord saves, for he will save the people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us, Isaiah 7, 14. I mean, 600 years earlier, a prophet had prophesied that. God would be with us, and a child would be born for a, through a virgin. That's Mary. Now, again, I should have mentioned this before. In John 1, when Jesus was recruiting Philip to be one of his disciples, and Philip had a friend named Nathaniel, well, Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, We found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name's Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. "'Nazareth!' exclaimed Nathaniel. "'Can anything good come from Nazareth?' "'Come and see for yourself,' Philip replied. "'I mean, this is an ordinary town "'and an ordinary Joe and a young girl, "'and they're giving birth to a, a son "'who's going to be the Messiah? "'God's going to choose these people?' "'Yeah, he delights in it "'to show that he can save anyone "'and he can use anyone "'if you and I will just be available.'" Here's important to note two things very quickly. Joseph surrendered to God's plans regardless of his circumstances. Joseph surrendered regardless of his circumstances. See, that's what's required to come to God. We have to confess our sins and say, Lord, I don't know exactly the right way to go, but I know going my own way in the right way. So I'm going to trust you. And Lord, I'm going to surrender and allow you to guide me with whatever you want to do in my life. I'll do it. Regardless of the circumstances. That's what we find in Matthew 1, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. You know, I sometimes talk with people and they go, well, the Bible is so out of date, it's so irrelevant. I mean, you can't go teach Bible stories, people won't even understand these anymore because there's no application for today right in this story we'd be for instance we'd be asked to believe that joseph might struggle with this command from god in a dream because he might be afraid of what other people would think about him so i mean can you imagine back in bible times people were afraid to do the right thing because my people might think wrongly about them (laughs) can you imagine how could we apply that today we've outgrown that centuries ago We all do the right thing without ever worrying what anybody thinks about us, right? This Bible is so irrelevant. Oh, wait, it's not. And the reason Joseph was chosen, because he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He was an ordinary guy, but a good guy. And the one thing he had going for him was reputation, and that's why he was going to put Mary away quietly. He didn't know what had happened. He didn't want to make a big scene out of it. She could have been stoned, literally, been put to death for this. And if he took her into his house, then it would basically confirm to everyone that, well, something been going on. Romans 8, 28. Here's what Joseph would have had to believe. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. If God calls you to do something difficult, but you know it's the right thing to do, if we do it, this is what we have to believe about God. Here's another life application that's related to this. Surrender is a choice. Surrender is a choice. Joseph had a choice, and Mary had a choice. There's one more verse. After the angel said nothing's impossible with God, here's how Mary responded. I am the Lord's servant and I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. Read that out loud with me, please. I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. Now, that's a choice because you and I, the Lord will never make us say this. This is something we have to say freely. He gives us a free choice to obey him, a free choice to disobey him. Every single day, he wants us to surrender to him. What if we started this week and we said, I'm the Lord's servant, I will accept whatever he wants. And then we read something in our devotional time about forgiving. I am the Lord's servant, and I'll think about forgiving them later. I am the Lord's servant, and I will take on this difficult assignment some other time. I am the Lord's servant, and I'm convinced he has somebody else that's going to do this, because I'm not going to do it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. He'll show you which path to take. Easy words to read hard words to choose but the question is are we going to do it now at the bottom of the page of your outline there are four simple steps that we often say here at center point it's a pathway to help us love god more are we going to surrender listen pray and obey every day today i'm going to surrender today i'm going to listen today i'm going to pray and today i'm going to obey That's why God chose Joseph and Mary. Because they were willing to surrender. They were willing to obey. They were willing to listen. They weren't necessarily... We don't know if they had great IQs. We don't know. They seemed to be ordinary. The people around them in Nazareth didn't think they were any big deal. But God thought they were a very big deal because they were faithful. So... God delights in using ordinary people. good news is we've got a whole room full of ordinary people right here. You know what God would delight in? Is if you and I would surrender and obey, no matter what he tells us to do. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Ordinary, garden-variety sinners, just like you and me. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that we will proclaim the good news of Christ wherever we go, and we will do so with confidence, because we are certain that this is a message for everyone not just a few of us, not just the best of us. We don't have to earn our way into heaven. In fact, we can't. I thank you, Lord, that the good news is proclaimed far and wide, uh, can be proclaimed far and wide by ordinary people, just like us. And I pray that we will proclaim it. We thank you for the opportunity we have to serve you today and serve you this week. I pray that we will surrender. just a moment of silence here, if the Lord has told you something you need to surrender about, do it today. You've got to trust Him for that, or else the whole thing doesn't work. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.